0: Everybody has some of these notes? Okay, good. Today, we're going to continue, and we're going to be talking about... Barb, if you leave now, we are going to mess up the order. Okay, I'm kidding. Okay, today we're going to be talking about what? Correct, but the major topic is still talking about the blood of Jesus. Amen? And today is 16, sermon number 16, well, sermon number 17, but uh, 16 topics so far. Give me a second. I am short, but I'm not that short. All right. All right, much better. So today we're going to talk about title number 16 and the powers that we have in the blood of Jesus. And today we're going to be talking about victory in the blood of Jesus. Amen? Amen? And today we'll... Finish, kind of the benefits or the powers that we have in the blood of Jesus, we're still going to be talking about um, more uh, scripture that talks about the blood of Jesus for the next, I think, four more weeks, and then we'll be all done. Uh, but for the next four weeks, it's going to be more like random scriptures that the Bible mention about the blood of Jesus, more than just following through the topical of the benefits that we have in the blood of Jesus. Amen? So this is your last time to review the benefits of the blood of Jesus. If you don't get it by today, then, well, nobody will ever know if you're going to get it or not. (laughs) So the very first benefit power we have in the blood of Jesus, Sister Nancy, is? Forgiveness by the blood. Amen, amen. You just messed the order, though. It it has to be Sister Nancy. (laughs) I'm teasing, I'm teasing. Exactly. It is forgiveness by the blood of Jesus. And that is from Hebrews chapter... Nine, and the scripture is without the blood shed, there is no forgiveness of sin. Amen? Amen? So your sins can be forgiven only by the blood of Jesus. Number two, we talked about enter, enter the holy places, enter into the presence of God by the blood of Jesus. And that's from Hebrews chapter 10. It says this we have confidence to enter into the holy places. How? By the blood of Jesus. Amen. And then number three, enter into um, a a new covenant by the blood of Jesus. Correct. We enter into that relationship, that new relationship with God through the blood. And the scripture for that was Luke 22. Jesus said, this is my blood for the new covenant, which was shed for the remission of sin. Amen. Amen. This is the last time we're reviewing this, so please respond so I know that we got something, okay? (laughs) All right, so we talked about the new covenant number three. And then number four, we talked about purchased by the blood of Jesus. And the scripture for that is Revelation 5. It's getting confusing in my uh, my mind. Yes, I think it's Revelation 5 when the the crowd stand before the Lamb and they say, You're worthy to take the scroll, open it up because you were slain. And you were, you have, did what? Purchased, purchased us, how? By your blood to God, your Father. Amen? So purchased by the blood. Then? Acquired by, that's, that's always yours. <laughs> acquired by the blood. Acts 20, 28, right? Paul said to the elders of the church of Ephesus, pay very good attention to the church of God. Take very good care of the church of God, which God has purchased, how? With the blood of His, own amen that's true and then number seven no, six number six? Redeemed. Seven? Six. six. redeemed by the blood okay. redeemed by the blood and that's what sister nancy first peter. first peter you got it one 18 and 19 right we have not been redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold but we have been redeemed with what with the precious blood as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That's the blood of Jesus. Amen. So we've been redeemed by the blood. And then Numbers Okay, I lost God. 7, we have been free. set free by the blood. And that's from Revelation chapter 1. Five six. You got it. And what did the people, uh, the crowds will say to Jesus, that beautiful hymn? It says, to him who loved us so much so. That he has set us free from our sins by his blood. doesn't say so much so, but this is my take on it. Amen. And then number eight. We talked about reconciled by the blood. And that is from? I love it. Good, good, good. Colossians chapter 1. And this is what Paul said, that it pleased God to do two things. That in Christ, the fullness of the deity of God will dwell. And number two, to reconcile all things that there are in heaven and are on earth. In him, in Christ, having made peace. How? By the blood blood of his cross. We've been reconciled to God by the blood of Jesus. Amen. And then uh, number eight, eight, nine. Okay. We have been? Brought near by the blood. We have approached God by the blood of Jesus. And that is from Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus. I just love that verse. But now in Christ Jesus. You who were once afar off have been brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. Christ. Amen. So we've been brought near. And then we talked about? Justified justified by the blood. And that's from Romans chapter 3. Romans... uh, No, no, I apologize, you're right. (laughs) Romans chapter 5, verse 9, I got confused. Okay, (laughs) it's getting to me. Romans chapter 5, verse 9, you're right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. What did Paul say? Having been just, how much more? Now, having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved by him through Jesus from the wrath to come. Amen? And then, I lost count. Whatever after that is, what? Propitiation by the blood. The wrath of God over our sins was satisfied because of the blood of Jesus and it passed over us. And that's from Romans chapter 3, verse 25. That God has publicly displayed Christ in front of the whole world as a propitiation. How? By His blood. Amen. So propitiation by the blood. And then we talked about what Cleansed by the blood, exactly. And that's 1 John 1, 7, right? Yeah. If we walk in the light, as He in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and then what happens? And the blood, and the blood let's say it together, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from 90% of our sins. All our sins, amen? We're cleansed by the blood. And then we talked about, purified, purified our conscience by the blood. And that's from? Hebrews 9. Yes. What did uh, the author of Hebrews say? How much more did he say, right? How much more will the blood of Christ who offered himself through the eternal spirit as a sacrifice to God. What would that blood do? Purify your body, your conscience from dead deeds to serve the living God. Amen. I need to refresh myself when I go home. All right. So that is purifying our conscience from Hebrews chapter 9. And then we talked about washed by the blood and that is Revelation 7 right when the crowds when, when one of the elders was asking John he's like who are these people John said I don't know and then the elder said these are the crowds who came out of the great tribulation and they have washed the ropes and made them white how in the blood of Christ. Nope, nope 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 the blood of that lamb there's only two times in the Bible says the blood of the lamb that's one of them in the blood of the lamb amen and then we talked about what? Sanctified. Sanctified by the blood. That was last week. And that's from Hebrews chapter 13. When the author of Hebrews said this, this. That Jesus, in order for him to sanctify the people by his blood, he had to suffer where? Outside the camp. Amen. And then it says, let us therefore go outside bearing his reproach. Amen. So we've been sanctified by the blood. And today is the last benefit that the Bible talks about that we have in the blood of Jesus. And that is victory in the blood. Amen. We're going to read a a rather large passage just to have an idea of the context. But then we're going to narrow on really one verse. Amen. So that's Revelation 12, 7 to 12. And the Bible says this. And a war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But they did not prevail. The dragon and his angels did not prevail. Nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. Verse 9. So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, who has cast, he was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Amen? Amen. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now, now salvation. Now that the devil has been cast out. Salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God. How often? Every now and then? Day and night. The guy won't take a break. Day and night has been cast down. Verse 11. That's what we're going to stop today. And they overcame, overcame him. How? by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives even to that death. Therefore rejoice, O heaven, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. Amen? Amen. All right. Let's just talk about the victory in the blood. But before we start that, let's uh, look through that passage one more time. I want you to look, let's try to number the descriptions of of Satan or the enemy in that passage. What does the Bible describe him just in that passage? Let's look through it together, okay? What is the first description? I think that was verse... um, Yeah, Exactly, verse 7. It says that he's a dragon, the great dragon, Correct. And then what else does the Bible say about him? Verse 9, he is the serpent of old. That's number two. And number three, he is the devil, right? Number four, he's also Satan, right? We'll talk about that in a second. And he does what? Deceives how much? The whole world. That's fifth description right here. And then I think the last one is in verse 10. He is the accuser of our brethren. So he's the accuser. This is just a description of... Five different descriptions here that the Bible tells us who the devil is. This is our enemy that we have overcome, how? By the blood of Jesus, amen? Amen. So let's just talk about our enemy for a little bit so we can understand the power of the blood and how it truly kicked our enemy's butt, amen? Alright, so let's talk about him for a little bit. He is the accuser of our brethren. That's verse 10. And right after that, in verse 11, it says, And they overcome him, the accuser. How? By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. I did not know that till yesterday. But the word for devil, actually in Greek, is diapolos, which literally means accuser. I did not know that. So the Greek word for devil is accuser. That's he, who he is. That's his Generic name like my name is Cami. The name that Satan's name is the devil, and that literally means accuser or a slanderer. Actually, that very word was used. The same word was used in First Timothy three eleven when Paul was talking about the wives. He said their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers. The same word diapolos, which is like um, accuse, like a uh, People who accuse or malignant or slanderers or something like that. The NASB said it as malicious gossips that just accuse people for no reason, you know. But superminded, faithful in all things. So, it is the very name of Satan that he is accuser, right? That's, that's who he is. I tell you, like, when my son Micah was born, we named him Micah for a reason. Because I want his name to indicate who he is. And Micah, Micah is the same thing like Michael. It literally means, there is no one like God. That verse that we just read from Micah. And this is what I want for him. I want him to go around, everybody looks at him, at his life and say, there is no one like God. Amen? And then Cassia was born. And that was one of the daughters of, of Job. And then we... Called her Kasia because it resembles the restoration of God. That whatever happens, God is still good and he's able to restore whatever the enemy can take away. Amen? And we pray that over her life. That whatever she goes, the goodness, the faithfulness, and the power of God will always be manifested to whoever is around her. Right? So even in the Bible, the name of the person carries the, the, the identity of the person in so many ways. Amen? And it's the same thing when it comes to the devil. His name is accuser. That's, that's who he is. That's his name. That's his identity. That's his personality. Amen? Amen. First time we read about the devil. Anybody help me remember where was it? Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve fell in sin. What was the first thing we find out about the devil? About Satan? He comes to Adam and Eve. And he accuses God... Of not being good to them, right? Saying, did God really say that you should not eat or touch that tree? Because, you know, your eyes will be open. Maybe God really doesn't care about you as much as he says that he does, right? So the very first time we read about Satan, what is he doing? He is accusing God to Adam and Eve of not being good. Amen? A second example in the book of Job. We're all familiar with that story. What happens? Satan goes to the presence of God in heaven. And he says, he's accusing Job now to God, right? And he's saying, do you think Job really serving you for free, God? Don't you think that he's doing that just because you love him and you're protecting him and you're blessing him? And he's accusing Job. To God that he has some selfish and malicious intentions. That's why Job keeps on serving God, right? And that's what he does. He is an accuser. And that's exactly how the Bible describes him right here in uh, Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. He is the accusers of our brethren, the Bible says, Where does he accuse? Before God, right? And how long does he accuse? Day and night. All the time. It is very interesting because the word accuser here that used in verse 10 is not the exact same Greek word diapolos. It's actually a different Greek word. It means it's actually called "katagoras," And that word literally also means the accuser, but Every time it's used in the Bible, it's more like in um, a legal or a court-like setting, okay? So it's more like a persecutor than accuser. That's how I understand it, you know? So it's kind of like, the idea behind that word is this. There is a court, and there is a judge, and there's somebody who did wrong. And then the persecutor go to the judge and he says, Look what this person has done. You ought to punish him for, for breaking the law. Amen? And that is the Greek word that is used here in Revelation verse 12, um, chapter 12, verse, verse 10. The same word was used a couple of times, for example, multiple times. But I want you to see how is that a court setting, a legal setting, okay? John 8:10. that's when... The Pharisees brought the woman caught in adultery to Jesus and they bring her to him. and And Jesus, look after everybody left. Jesus in verse 10 says, when Jesus has raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those who what? accuses you. Where are your accusers? It's the same exact Greek word. It's a setting. Jesus being the judge, he's, he's the one who has to make the call and then the accusers are bringing it to him so he can execute judgment over her. Where are your accusers? Another example, Acts 23:30, and there's multiple like that. That's when Paul was in court to about to be judged. Let's read this. And when it was told me that the Jews lay in wait for the man, I sent him immediately to you and also commanded his accusers, the same exact Greek word, to state before you the charges against him. Again, it's a court, right? And that's what John was trying to tell us here. That God is the judge who's sitting up in heaven. And Satan is like the persecutor. And he's always accusing every single one of us before God. Now, I want you to realize something. It does not, this does not necessarily mean that the accusation is wrong. Right? The accusation can be very well right. Right? Like, I would have truly sinned and Satan takes my sin, and he goes to the presence of God, and he said, look at Kami, he thought an evil thought, he said a bad word, and you're a just and holy God, you should not let him get away with that sin, you should punish him, amen? And how often does Satan does that for me? Day and night, I sleep at night, he's probably awake just in case, I wake up and commit a sin, so he takes it right away, and accuses me before God for it, amen? He is the accuser of the president. Amen? Amen? But here's the good news. Ready for some? Yes. We have overcome him. Amen? It's not that we might overcome him. It's not that we probably will overcome him. We already overcame him. How? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Amen? Amen. So let's talk about that for a little bit. How can we overcome Satan, our accuser, by the blood of the Lamb? Amen? Amen? Two ways. I thought about this. There's probably uh, two ways that we have overcome Satan by the blood. Before we go there, let me just tell you. Verse 11, And they overcome him by the blood of the Lamb. A better understanding of that verse is this. Not through the blood, but... Rather, on ground of, because of the blood. Amen? That's a better translation. And they overcome him on ground of the blood of the Lamb. And on ground of the word of their testimony. Or because of the blood of the Lamb, because of the word of their testimony. Amen? So how do we overcome Satan by the blood of Jesus? Again, notice the very choice of word that John uses here. He doesn't say the blood of Christ. He doesn't say the blood of Jesus. He says the blood of... The lamb. Only two times in the Bible that phrase was mentioned, both of them in the book of Revelation. It is the blood of the lamb. And we talked about that before. Whenever John says the blood of the lamb, he's trying to point our attention to? Exodus 12. You got it. Exodus 12. What happened in Exodus 12? That's when the children of Israel were redeemed out of the land of Egypt by what? the blood of a lamb, the lamb was slaughtered, his blood was taken, sprinkled on the doorposts and on the door lintel. and when the blood was sprayed and just sprinkled over the door of their houses, the wrath of God passed over them, the judgment of God passed over them, and the children of Israel were redeemed, right? And what John was trying to tell us here is this, it is the exact same blood of the Lamb in the Old Testament that was a type, an example of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. It's because of that very blood of redemption, that very blood that Jesus shed on the cross, that we have and we always will overcome Satan. Amen? So how does it work? How does the blood of redemption that Jesus shed on the cross can help us, to enable us to always overcome Satan? There's two ways to look at it. The first way is this. Because the blood cleanses us from our sins, right? We talked about that before, when you talked about the power of the blood of Jesus. We said it cleanses us from our sins. We said it justifies us before God, right? You guys remember what we said, what is justification? Justification is not just God forgives you, but what? Anybody remembers? God doesn't even see your sins to start with. Just as if you've never sinned in the first place, right? And we talked about how you can wash your robes white in the blood of Jesus, right? So the blood of Jesus literally wipes every single sin out of your record, out of who you are. God doesn't even see the sin anymore, amen? we read about that in 2nd Corinthians 5 21 for he made him God the Father made Jesus' his son he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us where? on the cross what is the result of that? that we might be the righteousness of God in Him. When Jesus died on the cross, He traded places for us. He took our sins upon, upon Himself and He imputed His own righteousness in our bank accounts. Amen? So when God looks at Esther, at Barb, at Cammie, at Mike, at anybody here, guess what God sees? He doesn't see sin, but He sees the righteousness of man, right? He doesn't see that. He sees his own very righteousness when he looks at you and me. Amen? So the enemy, let's say I sin. I say a bad word. The enemy takes that to God. And he said, hey, you're a holy and a righteous God. can he just say a bad word? You should punish him. You should judge him. He should pay for that sin. God looks at me and he said, well, I don't see that sin. Where is that sin? All what I see is just my own righteousness covered, all, covered him from every point and every angle. Amen? And because of that, we have always victory in our accuser on ground of the blood of Jesus. Because it cleanses us from every single sin. And God doesn't see it no more. Amen? Amen? How do we overcome? By the blood of the Lamb. Look at this. What Paul said in Romans 8, and 34. Wonderful scripture. Who shall bring charge against God's elect? That's you and me. Amen? It is God who justifies. What Paul was saying here, we've been already justified before God, because of the blood. Who can ever dare to bring charge against us? Not that they're incapable of, but even if they do it, God is not going to see the charge no more, because we have already been justified. Amen? Who is he who condemns? It is Christ Christ. Who, who's gonna condemn us? Well, he's saying, it is Christ, he's the judge, but the good thing is this, the judge who's supposedly gonna condemn us one day, he is the exact same one who died, and furthermore is also risen, and he is now at the right hand of God, doing what? Offering, making intercessions for us, amen? What Paul was saying is this. The very own judge that we're going to stand before him one day to condemn us for our sins. is the exact same person that right now is pleading for mercy for us. Isn't that good news? You know how is that even possible? It's all because of the blood of Jesus when he died on the cross. It's on the ground of that blood that there is no accusation against us before the holy and the righteous God can ever prosper. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. Alright. <laughs> Amen, but number two, there is another way that we can actually obtain victory by the blood of Jesus. We read a very interesting story. Um, That other way is that the blood of Jesus guarantees that his own victory, Jesus' victory in the cross will be always ours. Amen, how does that work? We read a story in the Old Testament. I think it's in 1 Samuel 17. The story of David and Goliath. Are you guys familiar with that story? Alright, so the Palestinians came again, to, came to fight uh, Israel. Army on one side, the other army on the second side in two mountains. There is valley in the middle. And then there's guy, Goliath, who's just a huge, massive guy. And he starts mocking the people of God. And he starts saying, why do we have to fight the army against the army? Let's just make it simple for everybody, right? What did Goliath say? He said, just bring me one man. If he beats me, you won. If I beat him... We won. And the whole battle is over. We don't have to shed much blood, right? And who went to to fight Goliath? Can anybody remember? David, right? And David won. He killed the giant. He used his own sword and cut his own neck. Amen? And when David overcame Goliath, when David obtained victory over Goliath, he guaranteed the victory of every single soldier in the children of Israel, even before they even raised a sword or fight against the Palestinians. Amen? And that's literally a type of what Jesus has done for you and me on the cross, amen? Because Jesus won the battle against Satan and all his power of darkness on that very cross because of his victory, because our captain and our leader has already won. You and me has won the battle even though we haven't fought anything, amen? That is what Jesus has done and that's how we can have victory through the blood. The blood of Jesus guarantees our victory over Satan and all his powers, amen? Look at how Jesus obtained that victory. Colossians two fourteen and 15. Look at this, Paul said. Having wiped the handwriting, that's Jesus on the cross. Having wiped the handwriting of requirement that was against us, which was contrary to us. He had taken them out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, the Satan and all his powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. Where? In it. In it. What is it? The cross, it's on the cross that Jesus plundered Satan and all his powers once and for all. And because of his victory, you and I are assured victory. Amen? Amen. Hebrews 2.14 And as much as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same. That through death, the cross, again the cross, he might destroy him who has the power of death. Do you know who that is? The devil. devil. Jesus on the cross through death destroyed the one who has the power of death. Amen? And because of his blood, because of his cross, that very victory that he obtained once and for all, now is you and me because of what he has done on the cross. Amen? We have, um, we just was reading that scripture in, in uh, Hallelujah time, Genesis three fifteen When God was promising Eve and talking to the serpent, he said that the, that the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head and the seed of the serpent will crush his heel. And that's literally what happened on the cross. Satan crossed the heel of Jesus. That's his human side of jesus but in return jesus did something far much better amen he crushed the head of the serpent amen i don't know much about serpents but i know once you crush the head of the serpent the serpent is as good as dead amen and that's what jesus has done on the cross he plundered all the powers and principalities of darkness when he died on the cross and shed his blood amen Amen. and because of what he has done is the same exact victory is assured you and me because of the blood of jesus amen so how do we, how we conquer Satan? By the blood of Christ. Amen? There is victory in the blood. But let me close with this. The Bible says in verse 11 that they have overcome Satan. Actually two weapons, not just one. By on ground of the blood of Jesus, right? And on ground of what? The word of their... Testimony, they said something, and because they were saying the word of their testimony, they were able to overcome Satan and have the kingdom of darkness coming down, crumbling. Amen. Amen. Alright. So the Bible tells us that the only way to actually ruin the work of Satan is by what do I do? What do you and I have to do? We have to do what Test- 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 testify. It is the word of our testimony, it's when, I don't know about you, do you think that the word of our testimony involving saying something? Right? It doesn't, it doesn't say, look, it says that they overcome by the word of their testimony, after that it says they did not love their lives even to the point of death, right? These people died for Jesus, right? But how did they overcome Satan? It is not their love for Jesus that made them so willing to lay down their lives for Jesus, Right? It is not that that made them victorious, right? What is it? It is the word of their testimony. It's when they open their mouth and testify. That's what brings down the kingdom of darkness. Amen? Okay, do you want to bring down the, the kingdom of darkness? There is one way of doing it. There is, there is a part that you have to do. You know what is that part? Open your mouth and tell somebody about Jesus. That's the only way you can actually... Make an impact for the kingdom of God and bring down the kingdom of darkness. Amen? Amen. So let me ask you a question. From that verse in Revelation chapter 7. Do you think you and I can witness and impact the kingdom of God by living a good, moral, Christian life? No. No? Exactly. No. It's a no. It's not enough. You can live all the Christian life you want. What brings Satan down is not your Christian conduct. It's not the Christian model that you are. But it is what? The word of your testimony is when you open your mouth and tell people about Jesus. That's only and only when the kingdom of God, the kingdom of darkness will be impacted. Amen. Let me just show you some examples just in case you don't believe me. Ezekiel 33, 7 to 9. Look what the Lord told Ezekiel. So you son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, you shall hear the word from my mouth and do what? And live a good life for me. Did God say that? He said, hear the word from my mouth and and live it for me or obey me. Did he say that? No, you hear the word and what do you do? You warn the people. How do you warn the people? By telling them. Amen. Whenever I say to the wicked, oh wicked man, you shall surely die. And you do not, what? Live it? You do not speak it. You don't open your mouth and say it. To warn the wicked from his ways. The wicked shall die in his own iniquity. But his blood I will require from your hand. Why? Because you did not open your mouth and speak the word to the wicked. Verse 9. Nevertheless, if you do what? Warn the wicked. Does warning involve talking? Or you just can live a good Christian life for it? You have to warn somebody. When you warn somebody. I don't know about you. If I see a car on fire while I'm walking in the street. And I um, go to the person and offer him a cup of cold water. I'm not expecting them to say, oh, you're so nice to me. What's going on? And I'm going to be, oh, it's just you're on fire. So maybe you need to get out. It doesn't work this way, right? When you see a person on fire, what do you do? You go and warn them, right? You tell them you're in danger. You need to get out. And that's what God is commanding us to do. It's the word of our testimony. When we tell them, get out. Jesus is the only way. That is the only thing that's going to warn the wicked. Amen? Amen. So question. From this passage. Whom do you think should take the initiatives? The wicked or the watchman? The watchman. So who, it's whose job to, to, to go to the other person? The, the watchman should go to the wicked and tell him, get out. Or the, the, the wicked should go to the watchman. It's like, hey, what do I need to do? The, the watchman. it, thank you very much. It's the watchman that needs to go to the wicked and tell him. Amen? Amen. You guys follow me? Yes. So who should go to the sinner and tell them about Jesus? Should you go? Should you wait? We should go, amen. One of the very first small phrases that I memorized from going to Regent, my mission professor said this. He said, Jesus said, go. What part don't you understand? Is it the G or is it the O? (laughs) And guess what? That doesn't apply only to mission. That applies to your neighbor. That applies to your co-worker. That applies to your friend, your family member. It is our responsibility to take initiatives, amen. Amen. And how can we share the message with them? How do we overcome Satan? By give, living a good My life? Testimony. The word of our testimony. We have to do what? Warn them. Amen? Amen. Romans ten seventeen. So then faith comes by seeing. Hear. Does it say hearing in your Bible? Yeah. Faith comes by hearing. hearing. Not by seeing. Question. If you want to reach out to people from diverse, what would it take for you to reach out to the person? Live a good Christian life? You talk to them, thank you. Faith doesn't come by seeing, faith comes by hearing. It's when you speak to them, and after that says, and hearing by the word of God, it's when you speak to them and you speak to them God's word, that's when faith is going to come to them. And that's the only way that faith is going to come to them. Amen? Amen? So, how do you reach out to people? Is it good enough? There is a lot of pastors, sad to say, who teach that. Oh, you just live a good Christian life and let it happen by itself. Whatever happens, happens. It's anti-Bible. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible is clear. We need to take the initiatives and we need to be clear in presenting the message. Amen. Amen. Faith comes by hearing. First Corinthians one twenty-one. Look at this. For since in the wisdom of God the word through wisdom did not know God. Look at this. This is amazing scripture. It did what? Pleased God. Pleased God. It brought joy to God. God thought that this is a good idea. Not a bad idea, a good idea. To do what? That through the foolishness of the message, what? Proclaimed, shared, communicated, not lived, that he will save some. Amen? Amen? Amen. Now, let me tell you something. I... I'm not asking by saying all of this. I'm not asking that I want you to be like me. I happen to love cold contact. I happen to not care about approaching strangers. That's just who I am. I'm not asking you to be me. Don't misunderstand me, okay? Be who you are. Be the person that God made you to be. But ultimately, if you have been for months and months, you have never even shared the message, the information, you have not communicated it to a single sinner, then that's disobedience to God. Amen? Amen? Because it's your responsibility, it's your mandate as a believer to go out and tell people about Jesus. If it happens that you like to invite them over for dinner for six months first and then share the message, perfectly fine. But you're intentional about it, you're doing something with ultimately trying to reach people with the message, right? Having people over for dinner every single week and without sharing the message, then guess what? You're not reaching out to nobody. Do you get me? Amen. Amen? Amen? We do the art sale here. Guess what? Muslims can do yard sales. There's nothing Christians about having a yard sale. Hindus and Buddhists and atheists even can throw a far much better yard sale than we we can do over here. Amen? Amen? What sets us apart is not that we do the yard sale, impress people, and they leave impressed. Right? What sets us apart is that? Message that we have that there's salvation through the blood of Jesus, amen. I'm not saying you need to be mean about it and go around just blasting people and leave, but you have to have the intention, the goal of ultimately sharing that message. If you don't have a plan, then you need to repent and ask God to give you a plan that you must end up sharing that message with people, amen. That's why I like tracks because you're really just in a way delivering the message without having. To present it yourself, right? But that's just me. You don't have to do it. But ultimately, it is every single believer's responsibility to share the message. Amen? Amen. Let me close with that scripture in Luke ten eight to 18. Look at this. Now, Jesus is sending the 70 out. And he's saying, whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things that they are set before you. Some of the places you go in the world, that might be one of the hardest commandments to follow. But anyways, <laughs> eat whatever is said before you. And verse 9, and heal the sick. And do what? Pray. And say. The say involves speaking something. You bet it does. And say to them, the kingdom of God has come near. Now verse 17, look at this. Then the 70 returned with joy after they went out and did heal the sick and say the kingdom of God is near. They returned back with joy saying, Lord, even the demons subject to us in your name. What did Jesus answer? He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Do you see that? Do you see the connection of Satan falling down from heaven in response to the disciple going out, healing the sick and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom? Amen? Amen. Again, how do you overcome Satan? It's the same thing that John was saying. Amen. It's on the ground of the blood of the Lamb and the word. word of your testimony. If you go out and tell somebody about Jesus, that's what's going to bring the kingdom of the darkness crumbling down. Amen? Amen. Let's all go up to God and give him thanks for the power of his blood. Amen? Let's so all close our eyes and pray.